Ray Rivera's body had been found, but what led to his disappearance was still a mystery. His family looked everywhere for answers, from the cryptic note he left behind to the strange phone call that caused him to leave home, and especially to his ties with his former employer. Does one theory explain how these led to his death, or will his family ever find answers? This week's episode is Ray Rivera, Part 2. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinister Well, we had a listener message on Instagram that they had gone to college with Ray and they missed oh, him. Oh, really? That he was such a nice, a nice person, and of course, just like everything else we've read, nobody has a thing to say and about him. Bad except thing to just say. Kind. Yeah, yeah. That's really, that's really sad and sweet. Yeah, yeah. This is a uh, these. I've been thinking about this nonstop. Honestly, honestly, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this case nonstop since I saw the Unsolved Mysteries episode, and while it's it's very good. Once you really start digging into it, you're like, oh, they, this is like a iceberg and we're just seeing the tip of it on this. There's mm. so much other stuff that in interest of time, I'm sure they couldn't put everything into it. That's why I told you after I saw it, I was like, I wish it was making a murderer style for his case. Whole season. Yeah. yeah. yeah I could, and I think they could have filled a whole yeah, season with it. Sure. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of. Not even just unanswered questions, because obviously it's a mystery. There's going to be, an, but like unexplored avenues mm-hmm. that I think are important when considering, you know, trying to solve it, trying to figure it out. For sure. And even new stuff came out after we recorded part one yes. that um, Porter Stansberry has finally given an interview after being silent since 2006. So he spoke out. Yeah, we got to. Um, Include that in today's episode as well. Speaking of the first one, if you haven't listened to the first one, go back and listen. Like we said, this is a case where it's hard to just jump into the middle because there's so many moving parts and so much going on that you got to listen to what's going to be all three to really understand. The whole picture. Get the whole whole picture. Yes. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. When Ray Rivera first went missing, his longtime best friend and former boss, Porter Stansbury, was shocked, telling the Baltimore Sun. He's a happy guy. He and his wife just booked a trip to go to New Mexico in a few weeks. This is not a man that wanted to leave. I've got to find my friend. I can't imagine my life without him. He's my best friend. Porter even volunteered a $500 reward for information on Ray, which he later raised to $1,000. By all accounts, Porter was genuinely concerned for Ray's well-being and wanted desperately to find him, which is why the alleged actions he took once Ray's body was discovered left many confused and suspicious. Makita Brotman calls the $500 and $1,000 reward paltry. (laughs) I mean, you flew into his wedding on a helicopter. How much did the helicopter cost? Yeah, Yeah, I think we could have upped that amount quite a bit. That's like, a, that's like a lost dog reward. I saw a dog in the neighborhood is missing. First of all, is it, the, several... is it the little white one? $2,500 yes, reward. I've seen the signs everywhere. Up at uh, almost right by the lake, uh, there's four different, there's two dogs and two cats all missing. There's something going I on. I told you, here. Tommy's, <laughs> Tommy legitimately, he was like, when was the last time you've seen a stray cat on the street? They're going somewhere. And there's all these signs about missing cats. He's like, something's going on. Y'all need to do an episode about it. (laughs) I know. We got to solve what's, I mean, it's it's all in this concentrated area, too. Unfortunately, it's probably a coyote. (laughs) That's true. Or, yeah, like a wolf pack or something. But the the tiny Bichon Frise is the $2,500 reward. Yeah. So if we can put up $2,500 for a Bichon Frise, which is admirable and, I think, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, fair. It's totally fair. Yes. That's probably an expensive dog. Yeah, probably so. But also, I have a question. When you see a cat just walking around the streets, do you assume it's lost or gotten out, or do you just assume it lives on the streets? I think it's probably somebody's cat that's just out for a jaunt. Yes, I never see a cat and think, 
unless I've seen a sign, oh, I should mm-hmm. stop and help this cat. But if I see a dog, Mm-mm. I yeah, think that I should. Alone. Yeah, but cats to me are so independent and prefer to be like out and about and hunting and stuff that mm-hmm. it doesn't occur to me. Maybe it should. No, to stop. No, my cousin's cat, they basically said he has like, I, I can't remember where, where he went missing. They eventually found him, but he had like four owners. Like technically yeah. he's my cousin's cat, but then the, they, as they were walking around, the neighbors were like, oh, we call him Niles. And they're like, well, we call him Marvin. <laughs> they had, it's like each family had their own little relationship. One lady's like, he comes by when I drink my coffee in the morning. Another one's like, he comes by in the evening when I'm smoking on the porch. So the Aww, cat had like rounds that he awesome. made. I lived in an apartment complex that had a cat like that and it was so sweet. Man, that's how you do it if you're a cat. You get fed four times a day. It's a Hell yeah. It's a progressive dinner. It is a constant progressive dinner. According to lead investigator Detective Michael Beyer, on the day Ray's body was found, all Stansbury employees were put under a gag order and told not to cooperate with investigators by the company's lawyers. The Unsolved Mysteries episode, Mystery on the Rooftop, also claimed that Porter refused to cooperate with the media, police, or Ray's family following the discovery of the body. Ray's wife, Allison, told Unsolved Mysteries regarding Porter, He's your best friend and you have no comment. Why? Detective Byer called the act of Porter immediately lawyering up after the discovery of Ray's body. Extremely suspicious. However, a crisis management firm hired by Stansbury in early 2020 denies the existence of the gag order, telling the Baltimore Sun, There was no gag order or direction given to employees not to speak to the press, law enforcement, or any other party. Any suggestion to the contrary is untrue. Recently, Porter Stansbury finally broke his 15-year silence regarding Ray's case. Regarding the gag order, Porter told the Baltimore Sun, It's completely a lie. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a lie. Porter says employees of Stansbury & Associates were never placed under a gag order. Rather, they were told to refer any media inquiries to a spokesperson. I just am very concerned. Porter Stansberry, we're not saying that. We're just reporting what other people have said. Now we're quoting the sources, so I think, we're that, quoting I think the that's sources. pretty clear. Porter told the Baltimore Sun that he was shocked and hurt by the insinuations Unsolved Mysteries made about his involvement in Ray's death. He went on to say, The reason I've never commented about Ray's death publicly first and foremost is because I never thought there was any mystery about how or why he died. Of his involvement in his friend's disappearance, Porter told the son, It's completely untrue. I did everything I could to help. Despite the claims from Stansbury's camp that he was, in fact, cooperating, many of Ray's friends and families remain unconvinced and question why he is just now speaking out. Allison told the son that He had every opportunity to say this, saying that the last time she and Porter spoke was in 2006. Shady financial dealings from Porter's past have also raised eyebrows, with some believing they are connected to the tragedy that befell Ray. So it's wild that it's been, what, 2006 to now that it took the Netflix show for him to finally... Yes, and... A lot of heat. Apparently his camp also sent cease and desist orders to Unsolved Mysteries, but their big-ass legal team that fact-checks everything said, mm-hmm. nah, we fact-checked everything. <laughs> this didn't I was going to say... <laughs> You may have a lot of money, but you don't have Netflix money. <laughs> That's true. I would also you like do. to clarify, do. we don't have Netflix no, money. <laughs> we don't have Porter Stainsbury money. We don't no. have we don't have PBS money. No. <laughs> we, we, have, we don't have Sesame Street money. They got bought by HBO. <laughs> we have zero money. <laughs> Correct. Please don't sue us. <laughs> Porter Stainsbury LLC was formed with the state of Maryland on June 19, 2001. It formally changed its name on July 31st, 2001, to Pirate Investor LLC. Agora Financial, a privately held publishing company located in Baltimore, Maryland, was the parent company of Pirate Investor. Via its wholly owned subsidiaries, Agora publishes a number of financial newsletters to paid subscribers and purports to give stock tips and various other types of financial advice. You ever gotten a email that you probably, maybe you didn't sign up for, maybe you accidentally did, or someone in your family did, that's like, do you want to know the hot tip? Click here and pay our $50 report, and you'll find out everything you need to know. Mine are more... Um, penis pills. <laughs> penis pills. There's a Somalian prince that needs money. Right. Um, Always. And then lots of stuff um, from like uh, Bed Bath & Beyond and Subway. Bed Bath & Beyond is unrelenting. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you unsubscribe, they find you. 
They come Somehow, back. I don't know. It's- they were like, don't you want this coupon? And as soon as I delete the email, another email's yeah. in the box. And it was like, you can get 20% off of the Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville frozen concoction machine. And I was like, God damn it, do I need that? Because <laughs> I'm home alone a lot. Maybe I do. Probably not. You're- yeah, they're unrelenting. They are- well, that's what Agora publishes these. You get these email blasts. And then the email blast will, it's kind of clickbaity and will say, this will give you a great tip or whatever. And to be fair, some people do make money off of these tips. Then you click it, but then to get the tip, you pay money. So it's actually genius because they're enticing you with their email marketing and then cashing you in. Because you think, oh, if I can make $1,000 on this stock play, 50 bucks for the report's not bad. Yep. Over the next year, Pirate Investor sold stock tips and investment research via its newsletter email blast. On May 14th, 2002, one of these blasts made an offer to sell insider information about a Russian-based company. Customers were invited to pay $1,000 for a report that would provide them with the name of a company poised to get regulatory approval for a deal, giving investors the opportunity to buy in early and double their money. Now, on the face, this isn't illegal, but I believe the sticking point was that they said a company insider told them that information. So that would be like a factual. It's not like we feel or a rumor had they said an insider someone that worked there told us this mm-hmm. and then they couldn't substantiate it trying to throw somebody else under the bus always the sec filed a complaint in u.s district court on april 14 2003 alleging that this stock tip was false and did not come from a company insider porter stansbury pirate investor and agora financial fought the allegations all the way to the fourth circuit eventually in 2009 the appellate court affirmed the trial court's findings that the parties had, in fact, defrauded investors. The firm was fined $1.5 million. Initially, the SEC complaint was what prompted Porter to hire Ray. According to Allison, Porter hoped Ray would clean up Stansbury and Associates' reputation. I will say, though, at the Fourth Circuit, they had a bunch of amicus briefs from, like, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and all these, like, major, uh, you know, pretty much legitimate news sources because they were his argument pirate and agora and porter's argument was that their first amendment right was being impeded on that they were allowed they should have been allowed to report on a source and not name the source but the sec and the fourth circuit said well when it comes to selling investment advice then no that doesn't then that trumps like we're allowed to police fraudulent things Mm -hmm. to protect investors and that's one of the ways that the government can you know impede your first amendment right which is not unlimited but it's interesting that this he had this for as much as his quote-unquote reputation was ruined he actually had a lot of legitimate people behind him that like had his you know had his back in this yeah and it's He's still in business today and doing quite well. So and he's not yeah, like he's it ended his, his whole life or anything. No, and he publishes stuff like he's a First Amendment crusader. And of course, now he has his YouTube channel and stuff like that. So it's like if you look at it and think, oh, well, the SEC's fine this person. Well, the SEC also tried to find Mark Cuban a shitload of money for, quote unquote, insider. And Mark Cuban basically had enough money to go, I'm not going to settle. And that's Porter's side of the story is he was threatened by the sec and they said you know if you settle and admit that you did something and give us a little bit of money we'll let this go and he said no so he was his arguments that he was this crusader for the first amendment and not really a a defrauding people and that they had him over a barrel and he didn't have the money to get out of it yeah well that he he said i didn't want to admit that i did anything wrong because i didn't think i did Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean to fight the sec all the way the fourth circuit you need mark cuban money or agora financial money and they had it so they fought it and then lost, and then the Supreme Court refused to hear it. So basically, the Fourth Circuit's uh, holding or you know, the Fourth Circuit's opinion stands. Porter says there is no connection to the issues with the SEC and Ray, according to the Baltimore Sun. He also wants to make it clear that Ray was not working for Stansbury and Associates at the time of his disappearance, having left the firm six months prior. Instead, Ray was only doing freelance work for Agora Publishing. Agora is no stranger to controversy. In the days following 9-11, the Securities and Exchange Commission investigated a number of investors who bought put options, financial instruments designed to generate profit when an underlying company goes down, on American Airlines stock right before the terror attacks. Agora turned out to be connected with several of these purchases, having sent out its options hotline newsletter on September 9th, in which it instructed readers to buy the puts. After an investigation, 
The SEC determined that. The traders had no advanced knowledge of 9-11. That's suspicious, mm-hmm. though. And that, that's one thing. The <laughs> SEC has these algorithms that track when something big happens, they'll go back a few days and be like, who is going gener- to who's going to make a profit yes. off of this? And a lot of people bought puts on American and were made shitloads of money. Whenever something major happens, yeah, it's not unwise to follow the money trail. Who's going to yes. benefit from this? Mm-hmm. There's also a bunch of people that bought just general S&P 500 puts because of the whole market. It wasn't just American that went down. It went down particularly badly. But the whole market went down. So the people and some people just have that kind of hedge protection on their portfolio. And so they just happen to have it. But some other people also bought a bunch of stuff like two days before 9-11. And it makes you wonder. Yeah. How did you know? How'd you know about that? How'd you know Mm -hmm. specifically I should buy these on American Airlines two days Mm -hmm. before Two of their planes crashed into the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. More recently, Agora was sued by the Federal Trade Commission for making false claims that the company could cure type 2 diabetes without changes to diet or exercise and could help readers get payments via checks from the government. This litigation is ongoing. Well, that's... <laughs> lots of... Lots of things that I don't think are true in that sentence. <laughs> I mean, if you can cure type 2 diabetes, then without changes to diet and exercise, please tell everybody. Yes. You're, you're sitting on a gold mine. But yeah, the FTC goes against uh, goes after people who they believe are making uh, false and misleading advertisement claims. And that sounds like these two maybe. Mm-hmm. Ray Rivera hasn't been the only person associated with Agora who has lost his life. William Colby, a former CIA director joined Agora to write The Colby Report, a less popular strategic investment newsletter. When his writing was not profitable, he and Bill Bonner, Agora's founder, got into a heated and costly legal battle. Colby wound up dead under mysterious circumstances in a marshy area in Maryland. Yeah, this was, he, I guess he wanted to write, Colby wanted to write an investment newsletter about kind of almost like political strategy and he because of his his past with the CIA he thought he could make investment suggestions based on the US and its relations to foreign countries and basically kind of a foreign political investing strategy but it did not turn out to go well didn't go well and yeah i heard about this from Brotman's book and uh, ray was always suspicious of what had gone on here mhm makita brotman author of An Unexplained Death, The True Story of a Body at the Belvedere, spoke with a former Agora employee who implied that the company was incredibly powerful. Even Ray's wife, Allison, refused to speak with Brotman on cell phones, instead preferring landlines. She also did not trust emails and asked to meet in person to discuss delicate details of the case. According to Brotman, this was supposedly because Agora has unlimited money and connections, and Allison was fearful of their power. Allison also described nearly being mowed down by a speeding car on the streets of Baltimore. It was implied that this was a purposeful attempt on her life. Man, if you're going to do a bunch of stuff by in-person meetings and landlines, that's a time travel situation. <laughs> Nowadays, you pretty much <laughs> were done, though. So. If I had to have a landline in my house right now, I'd be totally screwed. I mean, I'm sure I have a landline. I don't have a phone to plug into it, though. Yeah, I don't know where. I think you can get one from the internet, maybe. <laughs> so you still have to go to te- technology. Yeah. Ella has this little mini mouse phone that's not even a phone like we would have used. It's like one of those old timey looking phones, you know, okay. that has the cradle and like the mm-hmm. rotary dial. And I'm like, she's what kid would ever and without this toy would look at this and be like, what is this? That's true, because how would they know? Like, you can't correlate that that's a phone. Uh-uh. She does. I mean, she knows it's a I mean, phone. But, like, if you didn't have something like that and you just showed a picture of that to someone, I think they'd be like, I don't, what is this? What, are we, yeah, what am I supposed know? to do with this? <laughs> There's no way. In a face-to-face meeting with Brotman, Allison described an incident where she started to write a book about her experience. She took a memoir writing class where each student had to explain their book's purpose and premise. Allison said she was writing about the mysterious death of her husband after he worked for a financial company. The teacher asked her to stay after class, where he wrote something on a small piece of paper. When he handed it to her, it read, Stansbury-Agora. He asked if this was the company where her husband had worked. 
When she said yes, the teacher told her to be careful, as he used to be a white-collar criminal attorney, and then he tried taking them down. Some people on Reddit said they did not believe that this happened. But, I mean, it's in Bronman's book, and she claims that she was told face-to-face by Allison that that happened. My question is, why write down Stansberry, <laughs> Agora, but then finish having a conversation about why you shouldn't have them out loud? What, is he Unless worried that there's, like, she's, the room is bugged or something? Maybe. Or, yeah, maybe it was, like, a magic trick, and he was like, tell me the name of the company. And then she <laughs> said, and so they got the order out of, oh. and, like, I'm still thinking about yeah. that magic trick. Somebody, I I told you what somebody emailed us and said, and I, now that they, they said that the way that is done, and they gave us a podcast episode to listen to that explains it really well, that's about magic, that the magician is subconsciously guiding you to say those words before the trick is ever done. Oh, like, so my person said Adele, so you think he would be like, Oh, you know, hello from the other side or like stuff like that. Like they put these little breadcrumbs out there throughout the stuff leading up to that question to where they're kind of subconsciously planting what they want you to say in your brain. That's a good point because he was playing music. I don't remember if he played. I don't remember if he played Adele. I know for sure he played Black Eyed Peas because it made me laugh that he was playing I Got a Feeling from the Black Eyed Peas to get the party pulled. Yeah. That's like the party Tommy, starter. I walked outside the other day and Tommy's with Ella in the backyard playing that song. I was like, what is happening out here? <laughs> There's a couple like Get This Party Started by Pink or that one. They just like get people on the dance they do. floor. They do. You don't want to get out there, but it makes you. You got to. So that's how she said that that okay. trick is done. Which Well, maybe now he, that this she guy said that, I I remember hearing that from someone else, too, like mm-hmm. a, a a magic show or whatever. So my question, though, is I wonder if you wouldn't answer in the way they want you to if they just I assume they would just keep asking things to eventually get the answers that they want. That's what I wonder, because he's like, I need three volunteers. OK, each is going to tell a different thing. And I'm like, I should have volunteered because I would never have said Adele. But you probably dumb. wouldn't have taken your answer. He would have just, I bet, like, he would have on the fly been like, okay, let's, we got this from Heather, we got that from that person, this, that. I'm assuming that they just, like, improvise on the fly to try and, like, mold it into what they're wanting. I don't know. I've never been a magician. It's on my bucket list. Someday. One of the biggest questions in this case still remains. Who placed the mysterious phone call that had Ray jump up and leave the house that fateful day? With rumors swirling around a possible connection with Stansbury and Associates and Ray's death, suspicions escalated when police determined from where the call originated. A police spokesperson told the Baltimore Sun it came from an owned subsidiary of Agora Publishing. Even so, Porter is adamant that the call could not have come from his company, telling the Sun, Every person in our company who had worked with Ray was on the eastern shore at the time that the call was made, having a corporate retreat in St. Michael's. No one in my company was in town when Ray disappeared. The idea we were calling him from our switchboard is ridiculous. Does this mean the call originated from the switchboard of another Agora subsidiary, or perhaps from someone directly working for Agora? The whole switchboard thing is mighty convenient. Yeah. So if you call into a switchboard from an outside line, it just goes through the switchboard and then connects you to that person? I would think it's either a human that answers and says, how may I direct your call? Or it'll say, you know, this is the digital directory. Please dial by name. The first name, enter the first three letters. And you go like, A, yeah, B, yeah, C. Yeah. Um, and then, but my thing is, is like when you call out, like every office I've ever worked in, when you, there's a switchboard and a person that answers for us. But then when you call out from your handset, it shows up like it would pop up on somebody's caller ID as my extension number. Right. So interesting that they have masking like that. So I don't I mean, they could just say that's how the phones work. Or did you purposefully select that for your phone to do that? Yeah, it hides who's calling when. And also, did you purposely call through the switchboard that night because you knew that Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be able to be traced? That's a good question. Interesting. With the investigation seeming to stall at every turn, Allison and Ray's brother, Angel, began to search Ray and Allison's home for any potential clues. It was then that Angel discovered a bizarre note taped to the back of Ray's computer. The note had been typed in small font 
and the paper appeared to have been folded and refolded many times. It had been tightly folded into a two-inch square and placed in a plastic bag along with a blank check from Ray's newly formed company, Seabed Productions. This has to have, this is the key. The note's the, the key. The note has a lot to do with this. For whichever theory you subscribe to, I think the note is a big player. Mm-hmm. The cryptic note began. Brothers and sisters, right now, around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight. Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. This last phrase is a well-known motto of the Freemasons, leading many to theorize the actual meaning of the note is tied to the infamous secret society. The Freemasons are a fraternal organization who participate in community events and charity fundraising. But many people believe that the Masons' powers go deeper than simple brotherhood. Some theories posit that the Masons have an incredible hold on the government and even control law enforcement. Ray's known fascination with the Freemasons was no secret to his friends and family. He had a known interest in secret societies and even visited a member of the Maryland Lodge to inquire about joining the day he disappeared, according to WBAL. In the weeks leading up to his disappearance, Ray had also been reading several books on the fraternal organization, including the Builders. On the actual day of his disappearance, Ray had purchased Freemasons for Dummies from a local bookstore. He started to really go down a rabbit hole yes. on this one. The Freemason guy that he met with said it was just kind of yeah. general questions. He said it was a normal meeting that anybody inquiring about the organization would have. But he definitely was very interested in this and didn't try and hide it. Everyone pretty much knew no. that he had a fascination with this. And the book was out on his desk and everything. Yeah. You know, everything was out in the open. Porter recently told the Baltimore Sun, that Ray had previously asked him if he was in a leadership position with the Freemasons. At the time, Porter thought it was a joke. Brad Hopman, another childhood friend of Ray's, also told the son that shortly before his friend's death, he remembers Ray repeatedly asking him about being a Freemason and wanting to discuss the film Eyes Wide Shut, a film often associated with the Freemasons, according to Nerdist. I think if someone's in a secret society and you ask them if they're in a secret society, they're they're going to say no. What's the first rule of Fight Club? You know. Yes. Or if someone asks you if you're a god, you say no. Don't say yes. <laughs> Ray goes on to say in the note, "I took on the endeavor to find the truth, but not for its own sake. In accepting this quest for the truth, I hope to make myself, with the help of others, into a man worthy and ready to receive it." Directly after, Ray writes. Members of the council, please note that I will lend careful consideration to the traditional responsibilities. In light of those proceedings, I will satisfy the standard request of this council within the appropriate time. Redditor Golden R16180 believes Ray may have been preparing to be initiated into the organization and that the note was actually his speech he planned on giving at the ceremony. Golden points out that in the book Freemasons for Dummies, author Christopher Hodap writes, a strict rule forbids Masons from writing down the ritual in any manner that could be deciphered by non-Masons, or profanes, as they were called. Golden theorizes that the cryptic note was written specifically for the audience of the Freemasons, and that the quotes, movies, and names of both celebrities, as well as certain friends mentioned, were nods to the Masons' secret traditions. I feel like this theory makes a lot of sense. So this person set, thinks, because you can't, when giving your speech at your initiation... You can't have any kind of um, printed out things or anything. So they think that it was typed in this really small font so that Ray could cut it out and put it on note cards and then kind mm. of just have them in his hand to mm. where maybe it wasn't noticeable, but he would still be able to be able to remember what he was saying. Like crib notes, like cheating on a test. Yes, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. think you're allowed to cheat on the Freemason initiation <laughs> test or any secret society I would much test. rather cheat in school than with a secret society. I feel no, like I the stakes are much lower in school. For sure. In the note, there is a lengthy list of people Ray and Allison knew, who Ray asked to make five years younger. However, Allison says the list is confusing, as it omits many people to whom the couple were close. One close friend Ray did not admit, though, is none other than Porter Stansberry, whose name appears several times throughout. Golden's theory is that Porter himself is an active member of the Freemasons and was acting as Ray's sponsor in hopes of getting him inducted. Golden goes on to postulate that the blank check from Ray's company found attached to the note was for his initiation fee. 
That it all ties These together. These make sense. These this is one of the better theories I've seen on Reddit. It all it all makes sense to me. I um in addition, this note, we're giving you snippets of what this note says. The note is very rambling at times, very stream of consciousness, while some of them are full cohesive sentences. Other times it'll just be a list that just says JPEG, MP3, Invisalign, just Mm -hmm. random words that are just, you know, listed out that there's no explanation. So it also there's a lot of um, another person on Reddit, God bless Reddit, because the shots, the pictures of it are very blurred that are out there. This person took the time to go through and analyze every single thing because some things are capitalized that you wouldn't think are capitalized. There's a lot of misspellings that perhaps are intentional, maybe not. And they will put this in the show notes. They outline the entire thing. A lot of it, too, is kind of water stained, so you can't mm-hmm. read it. But it's um, it's definitely worth checking out the show notes and seeing what this note is because it is bizarre. And like and- we said, we both think it's a key to something. I just wonder because it was in a plastic bag, like yeah. how it got water damaged or what he. I w- think I mean, he was. I mean, it, it looks like it's been folded and refolded a million times. Mm-hmm. I mean, and maybe he took it to a water polo practice, or I mean, <laughs> or just spilled something at his desk. True. Allison thinks it was written the day he disappeared because mm. she found scraps of paper like cut up because it's kind of cut in a weird shape too, um, in the in the trash can. Others think he had written it long before because. It looks like it's been folded and refolded a million times, like it's been handled a lot. Also in the tape, because it's like duct taped to the back of his laptop, mm-hmm. it's um, you, if you the person who the Redditor that deciphered the note also blew up images of the tape and you can see what looks like dust from Doritos or Cheetos on it. Mm. So it's not like it looked brand new by any means. So mm. I, I think... It had been there for quite some time. I don't it think he wrote day. it. I don't think he, I don't, I personally don't think he wrote it that day. Because it looks like it has been uh, manhandled yes. and that he's been using it yes. to study or something. I, exactly. According to the Crypto podcast hosted by all Freemasons, the note included several phrases which rang true with them as members, including the opening Latin motto. The Masons also implied that there could have been someone masquerading as a Freemason but who really was a member of an incredibly secret murder cult. Those who theorize that some secret cult, possibly the Freemasons, are in fact involved, believe their reach extends into law enforcement and may have derailed the investigation. Apparently, because obviously the the Latin phrase of the uh, whom virtue unites death will not separate, the crypto guys were like, you know, that everybody that's grandpa was a Freemason that they died and they go to pawn their like ring. That's on that the mm-hmm. Freemason ring. So it's like pretty known. But they said uh, the part where he says, I hope to make myself with the help of others into a man worthy and ready to receive it, that that's some language straight out of the Freemason kind of uh, lore and stuff. But their whole thing was if somebody was really into joining a secret society and they get told by someone, you know, we need you to do whatever it takes to join. They're like the Freemasons are structured and they're like, you can Google what we do. You know, it's not that secret. There's a book called Freemasons for Dummies. But he said there are other organizations that want to take advantage of people like that, mm. that people like Ray who are into it, totally buying in, believing all the lore and willing to, quote, do whatever it takes. And it maybe was an offshoot of the Freemasons or a bastardization or someone pretending that it was a Freemasons, but actually it was something much worse uh, because they were like, we would never, you know, we're not requiring weird, you know, the stuff that he was doing was like way more extreme lengths than they would require. Yeah. We drove by the Freemason Lodge in downtown Dallas yesterday. Tommy goes, what's that? And I said, oh, I'll tell you what that <laughs> is. <laughs> we also, it runs the world. We're also driving around on there. And uh, Ella kept saying, I want to see something spooky. I want to see something spooky. As we come, like, up, this is the- we come upon the grassy knoll, I was like, you want to see something spooky? How about some government conspiracy? Is that spooky enough for you, kid? Guess what happened here? Single bullet? I don't think so. Never. Oh, man. Well, regarding the police department having involvement, Baltimore PD took Ray's computer equipment in from his home office. Makita Brotman believes forensic analysis would have been able to provide more context to the note based on the contents of the computer. 
but no reports were released or available describing what testing was done. I believe they kept his computer for 90 days and then didn't do any tests on it because they're like, it was a suicide. We didn't need to look at it. You're like, well, why did you keep why it? Why did you take one? it in? Yeah. Additionally, the Belvedere security cameras were malfunctioning on the night of Ray's death. The tapes were given to the Baltimore Police Department, who kept them for several weeks. Once the tapes were returned to the Belvedere, the concierge offered to let Brotman watch the videos. The footage showed the hotel up until May 15th, when it cut and restarted past May 16th, as if someone had deleted the intervening footage. Was this all a matter of coincidence and incompetence, or was the secret force at work to sabotage the murder investigation? Because the one on the roof was unplugged, but to get to the roof, you would have had to walk through 15 different areas that were camera, mm-hmm. you know, the had cameras trained on them. What else were, just happened where the cameras were conveniently not working that night? It happens a lot of there times. Was a, there was another case we recently did where that that happened. Gosh, man. Sometimes I forget what we talk about. Sometimes I have horrifying dreams and it's just like an amalgamation of things <laughs> that we've talked about. And it's like, well, that's weird. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm like, I don't even remember if we've, the other day I was like, oh, we should cover that. And I'm like, oh, we have covered that. <laughs> yeah, so people will comment and go like, hey, have you ever heard of like, whatever, the Lost Girls of Panama? You should do that. I'm like, yeah, we should, we did that. that yeah, we have done that. We have done it's that. It's been a minute. You get all jumbled up. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's from the before time, like you said. Oh, man. Well, throughout the stream of consciousness note, Ray lists numerous TV shows, books, and numbers, which seem to have special meaning. Several dead celebrities are cited, including Christopher Reeve and Stanley Kubrick, director of Eyes Wide Shut. Other movies mentioned include The Matrix, Minority Report, and The Village. He's a Shyamalan fan. Yes, and he specifically says, I can't wait to see what else he's going to come out with. In my opinion, nothing's been good since The Sixth Sense. But he <laughs> he lists a ton, a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have to do with kind of conspiracy theory, sci-fi stuff like these. Mm-hmm. There's also like The Family Man <laughs> and <Yeah>. other <laughs> things like that. So it's kind of, there's this very eclectic. All over the place. Yeah. Ray was an aspiring screenwriter, which has led Allison to believe that the actors and movies her husband mentioned were simply those he found inspiring. However, one particular movie Ray listed set the internet ablaze with possible theories. The 1997 mystery action thriller, The Game, starring Michael Douglas. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I love Michael Douglas. I do too. Also, this movie is very good. It really is. I like it. It's well played and he's just, he's excellent. There's going to be some spoilers coming up. Uh, So if you haven't seen this and you don't want it spoiled, then skip ahead a couple minutes. Travel back in time to Blockbuster Video and get a VHS in 1997 (laughs) and watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was graduating from high school in 97. So uh, that was a long ass time ago. But if you I don't know the the stipulation of spoilers. So I'm still going to (laughs) say spoiler alert. Yeah, we've warned you. Ray makes mention of a game several times in the note, saying, That was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated. I hope you enjoyed it. But it was time to wake up, so here I am. The note goes on to say, I'd like to welcome those who accepted our invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. In the film The Game, Douglas, who has believed the entire time he has been the victim of a sinister conspiracy theory, jumps off the roof of a building and crashes through a glass ceiling, only to land on a giant air cushion. In fact, Douglas has unknowingly been a participant in an elaborate game run by a wealthy company that claims its unorthodox ways will change the lives of its participants. Douglas's attempted suicide was all part of the game, with the inventors fully knowing he would make that choice, therefore placing an air cushion below him to ensure his safety. That's a, such a moment there oh, at the end. Yeah, man. And Sean Penn's in this, too. It's a really good mm-hmm. movie. I, I, The other night, I was like, I'm going to go back and watch that. Talking about now, I am going to go back and watch it. Several Redditors have drawn a connection between the ending of the film and Ray's actual death. Believing the similarities and numerous mentions of a game within the note are much more than just a coincidence. Redditor Zuma Light Blue theorized Ray was acting out the climax of the movie, posting on the subreddit R Unresolved Mysteries. The whole movie is about this crazy game that a company arranges that makes you think you lose everything in order to let you appreciate life again. 
Ray was an unsuccessful movie scriptwriter, and maybe he got involved in something that tried to imitate the game in some way. Terry Dunmure, creator of Unsolved Mysteries, spoke with Entertainment Weekly and told them that she doesn't believe there is a connection after speaking with Ray's wife, Allison. She spent a lot of time with that note, as did the FBI, just going through the note and trying to figure out if there were any clues or anything else in there. She doesn't place any significance on the movie The Game. Ray liked a lot of different types of movies. He was just a guy who was interested in everything. If he had only ever left just that writing, or if it was the only thing he'd ever written randomly, then people would be a little bit more suspect. Allison says that while the note is unusual to those that didn't know Ray, to her, it's not that odd. As a screenwriter, Allison says Ray was constantly writing down random things and would leave notes all over the house. He had journals filled with his thoughts and ideas that she has since poured over in hopes of finding any clues about what might have happened to her husband. Disappointingly, she has discovered nothing that provides her any answers or any connections to the film, The Game. I write a lot, and Paris writes scripts a lot, and both of us have notebooks and notes in our phone. There are certain notes in my phone that I was going through looking for something, and they're just one-liners, and I'm like, what the fuck does that even... I don't even remember what it means. And luckily on the iPhone, it's dated or whatever, and I still can't it doesn't jog your memory and so i mean next to me on the table right here is like a note that i'm pretty sure paris stole one of my uh notepads and just it's just kind of random so i think that there are papers in her house that allison recognizes as his writerly don't want to forget that idea but i feel like this note is too meticulously typed and ordered and then had been folded and unfolded to just be like his idea you know his random rambling. Well, I think the weirdest part of it is why would he have it in a plastic bag taped to the back of his computer? Ding, ding. Yeah. I mean, I think- I've got a ton of journals too that are all over the house. But if I'm trying to keep something a secret, that's then- when you tape it to the back of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's so that to me, if this was just laying out on his desk or shoved in the pages of a journal or something, perhaps it wouldn't be that suspect. But the fact that it's in a plastic bag, Mm -hmm. like you want it to be protected, and then taped to the back of something where you don't want it to be found, maybe that's nobody's going to look back. Yeah, that's to me what stands out here. Mm -hmm. And she was showing. I think she shows it on Unsolved Mysteries, or maybe in another interview. But it's kind of like scraps of paper and cocktail napkins and stuff, like you said, that were just like out Mm -hmm. in a pile or on his desk. This has been specifically, yeah, set aside. Yes. Despite random writings not being out of the ordinary for Ray, Allison does concede that she doesn't know what to make of the note and speculates it could have been researched for her husband's next screenplay, according to Nerdist. In an interview with Nerdist, Muir said Allison confessed to her. I know where each of those pieces of that note comes from. What I don't understand is why they're all put together in this letter form. Yeah, again, it's just a list of people they know, including her, when it's saying people that I want to make five years, it says something to the effect of now that the game is over, I want these people should be made five years younger. And it's like his brother, her, Mm -hmm. his parents, some other people. It mentions um, Porter Stansberry didn't do this alone. He should be allowed to select a gift now that this is over. It's all very like, what are you talking about that now that this has ended, now that this is over, what is this? Yeah, and then that's the brothers and sisters. Is that's what makes it sound like a speech or an announcement? Yes. But also the Freemasons is all male. That's true. So and sisters, there's like someone said it's like one Eastern star or something. There's a Freemasons offshoot that allows women yeah. in. So they're like, well, maybe it's something like that or something not related to the Masons. But that brothers and sisters is a speech, and like you said, he's talking about a singular event or a series of events that is concluded. And another Reddit theory too was that this is a speech. Not yeah. perhaps not even for the Freemasons, but just in general, because the way it's written out is kind of to read it doesn't make as much sense as if one were to be saying it and, you mm-hmm. know, pause for reactions and stuff like that. Well, and he may have like these movies listed and, and he was going to talk about extemporaneously mm-hmm. talk about each. And it's like reminders and yes. not to be read as a, in order. Yes. It's like when standups go up and they have a list of jokes that they have on their, their set sheet. It's just like little words that'll remind them of like, this is what I'm talking about next. If you were to read that. No, it's, you would be like, what the hell is this 
<laughs> insane rambling. It just says rambling. cat piss pop tarts and car accident. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, and it's not meant to, for them to stand up and go, cat piss, no. pop tart, car, you know, it's like a trigger for your yeah. brain. So it could have been something like that where it was those little triggers he was looking for and then things that he wanted to be able to speak more eloquently. So he actually mm-hmm. wrote out what he was going to say. Well, perhaps the saddest theory is to the meaning of the note is that Ray was suffering from an undiagnosed mental illness. According to Bustle, some Unsolved Mysteries fans believe Ray may have been suffering from Truman Show delusion, a disorder which Psychology Today explains is one where people believe they are in a TV show-like scenario. Okay, I kind of sometimes wonder about this. (laughs) If you're in a TV show-like scenario? Well, sometimes things happen, and I'm like, my life is like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like, something else happens. I feel like like, that theme song should play every time I walk into a room. All the time. But this, I mean, to be fair, this is a significant, dis- a, a legitimate Actual. disorder where people feel like cameras are being filmed on them and that Correct. things aren't what they seem to be. And the lines between fantasy and reality become so blurred that you can't distinguish one from the other. It's a li- literal, I guess, delusion with mm-hmm. accompanying paranoia. Yes. Which he dis- displayed, displayed uh, symptoms of. Yes, yes, yes. He was acting very paranoid. In the two weeks leading up to his disappearance, his behavior had changed significantly. There has also been speculation that it was a suicide note, despite the FBI's behavioral analysis unit determining it was not. Ray's family also does not believe it was a suicide note. In an interview with Nerdist, Muir said of Allison, She believes if he was going to kill himself, he would have left a note for her and for the family explaining why and what was going on. Allison has also said that because Ray was a writer, he would have left a beautiful note. He's a really, really good writer. We believe he would have. Ray's friends and family have maintained that he showed no signs of mental distress or suicidal tendencies in the weeks leading up to his death. Porter Stansberry, however, told the Baltimore Sun that while everyone was searching for Ray, Allison confided in him that the Saturday before her husband went missing, he was morose and would not get out of bed. Allison has said she can't recall if this conversation took place or not. That is a convenient memory. So here's the thing. I have gone back and forth a lot with what I think has happened to him or how he got to the top of that roof and what led him there, which we'll talk more about in the next episode. I do think that this note could be a sign of mental health issues, though. The behavioral analysis unit, while it said it was not a suicide note, it's like a it's a pretty long PDF. And they go into various disorders that they believe it could have been attributable to. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying it was a suicide note. I just think his paranoia leading up to his disappearance, his unusual behavior, which him becoming clingy, demanding that he goes over with Allison, just the increased level of paranoia, asking... um all of his friends and lead, lead weeks leading up more and more about Freemasons wanting to get more into that. Then not wanting to get out of bed. I, I toggle back and forth between was this something really about the Freemasons or was he experiencing a psychotic break and was disillusioned into thinking that something was going on with the Freemasons that it really mm-hmm. wasn't because he was so fascinated with that. And he was kind of, looking for things or or thought people thought maybe he was being initiated into something kind of like mm-hmm. a game scenario. And that, you know, that's why he was being so paranoid and everything when really perhaps nothing was going on. And he mm-hmm. was having a psychotic break because this note is very bizarre. Again, the taping of it to the back of the computer is what really makes me think there was, this wasn't just a normal thing he was writing. Something mm-hmm. else was going on in his brain that didn't normally happen. Yeah, it wasn't just a general thinking about maybe a new movie or something. Because if the only other person that's in the house is Allison, even though like Claudia was there or whatever, but like she's not going in his office. If he was mapping out, I, I mean, I talked to Paris about it because, you know, I was like, they, this guy was a screenwriter. He left this like really strange note and he's like, you know, normally if somebody's brainstorming, they may do that like handwritten in a journal, but when it's going to be typed out, when it's a treatment for a screenplay or something, it's more cohesive. Like it would be more, and he's like, it's not really something you would hide unless, 
I don't know, you work in a studio and you're worried somebody's going to come by your desk and mm-hmm. see it. But the only person in the house is Allison. So why would he try to hide? If it was because people are like, well, what if it was just ideas for a future screenplay? It's like it's not written in that format, A. And B, you wouldn't need to hide it because it's just your wife. She's not going to steal your idea. The hiding is what I can't come to terms with. That's the Mm -hmm. thing that sticks out the most to me. While Ray's family is convinced he did not take his own life, the Baltimore PD was quick to rule the cause of death a suicide. Others, including Ray's family, believe something much more sinister took place. However, unanswered questions continue to haunt both sides. How did Ray, a person terrified of heights, make it up to the roof of the Belvedere? Why were there no witnesses that saw him that night? And could the location of the 40-inch hole Ray's body made when he crashed to the roof be scientifically explained? Lots of questions. All coming at you next week. Yeah. So what do we think so far? Well, I think regarding uh, his job and Agora and things like that, I think it's kind of easy to point to a big bad wolf kind of a character corporation like that and be like, oh, it's just... But my thing's always like, what's the motivation? What would be the motivation for somebody to be bumped off by anybody, much less a, a, a company that makes like shit ass loads of money? And despite the fact that it was already sued by the F- SEC, still making shit ass loads of money. Like what possible piece of information could he have that people are like, he's going to take him down? It's like, that's an easy thing to say. But when you look at the reality of it, money rolls in the door of that place. They have, I don't think they have any motive that I could think of to have anything to do with his disappearance, given that they've already been busted by the SEC, investigated by them. Now I'm being investigated by the FTC. They seem Teflon. So what? why would they be afraid of one t- one person and not be afraid of the whole entire government? From what I've read and from what Allison has said, who thinks that Agora is tied to this, not that he was necessarily going to take them down, but that in his research and writings for their newsletters and and doing other stuff for the company that he stumbled across something he wasn't supposed to see. The other thing was he was the video he was editing was of their investment conference. So my only other thought would be maybe he accidentally filmed something he wasn't supposed to film and he had a copy of it and either was going to blackmail them or I don't know. But that would be the only thing I could think is that if he had something that was like hard evidence, like Epstein style, like you have video Mm -hmm. of something like, unimaginably horrible but i haven't seen that's full conjecture like i there's been no aside from her suspicion and then the memoir teacher being concerned or whatever that's really the only other two things that yeah and angel thinks that it is someone that um suffered lost a lot of money because of a bad stock tip ray gave so Mm -hmm. again perhaps not even someone that is um working for Stansbury and Associates or even Agora, but someone that made a bad investment based on something he said mm. and and then took took him out. But again, the, how would that person call? And maybe the call's unrelated. I don't know. True. Or maybe the call, maybe the company called and said, there's some fucking guy in the lobby wanting to talk to you. Yeah. I don't know. You never know. But I wonder, because it'd been a minute since he had written the newsletter, because what did... Uh, six months. Four, six months. And I wonder, I wonder if there's old copies of that newsletter somewhere to see if it just said the rebound report or if it said the rebound report by Ray Rivera. If you have a copy of one of those, please send it to us because I would love to find if, because otherwise, how would they find out it was him that wrote it if it just came from this umbrella company? Yeah. I imagine it would say a name of like anybody Somebody. that is an author of something, it would say I his name. Like Porter had a pen name maybe too. So they may have pen names. Mm. I don't know. Um, but then the call definitely does leave questions of, like you said, maybe it was unrelated, but I think the, oh shit of receiving yeah. the call that has something to do with it. Um, that those, you don't jump up and run out of the house and then end up dead and it's not related. No, you know? I definitely think the call is related. I think that whoever called him said, um, we or somebody wants to meet you at the, uh, wants to meet at the Belvedere in 10 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had been waiting to talk to this person because the oh shit indicates like, oh, it's go oh, time. Oh, it's go time. Yeah, yeah. And he runs out and what he, he doesn't like try to get dressed up or anything. He's wearing flip flops and just sweats or whatever. And, uh, it's Which would indicate to me, you know that person because you're comfortable showing up. Yeah. Or you just know that you don't have, they're like, 
this is your time. You got to be there in 10 minutes or, and you know, if it's, so if it was something like an induction to the Freemasons or something, and they're like, because I did read that with that society, you don't know when you're going to get inducted. They could just give you a timeline and it's kind of like keeping you on your toes and that suspense and stuff because they want people to be excited and it's kind of. It's like fraternities. Fraternities do that, too, where they'll be like, sometime this week, and they come and, quote, kidnap you, and then take you into the woods or whatever and dump you there and be like, find your other brothers or whatever, because it's part of the lore and the mystery of not like, Thursday at noon, we need you to be at this conference room. It's like, it's go time. Like, show up right now or else you're not going to be let in. So if it really was the Freemasons and someone called and said, it's time, and, you know, he knows, like, I got to go how I am like this is this is what's happening just runs out or it's somebody posing as someone from the Freemasons that had even more sinister motives and said the same thing and he just shows up either way I think it was it was a very like urgent meeting that you didn't have time to like prepare for anything like this person called all right you better your ass better be there right now. And that one of the other arguments that it wasn't the Freemasons was that they only do certain initiations at lodges. But then someone said, well, some certain offshoots will do them offsite at different places. And so maybe specifically fancy, well-known buildings. Mm-hmm. And the Belvedere has the Belvedere in itself could be an episode because it has a storied history. Of oh, that book is suicides, deaths, all sorts of stuff, but also ties with the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was kind of an iconic symbol in the city of of that um, organization or something. So they wanted it to happen there. I don't know. It's true. It's and interesting. We got the note, too. So there's the a note, lot. I think, um, I don't know. I'm starting, I'm, the more I, like, have read about stuff, I really think he may have been suffering some sort of psychotic break that was causing him to suffer paranoid delusions. And mm-hmm. that the note was a byproduct of that, like just um, manic ramblings almost mm. from. So I don't know. I'm I still, think the note was. I think it was a speech. You think it was a speech to give? It was not the free. I think that there's a secret society that's not the Freemasons involved. Mm. See, I don't. To me, I don't. The speech thing would make sense, but a lot of the things that he lists. Or just seem like, like the Invisalign. Like that's just something that's like personal to him that wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know why you would be talking about that in a speech to an organization. There's several things like that. So I don't know. And parts of it do read like it could be ideas for a screenplay. Like, oh, this is mm-hmm. how we're going to open on this scene or whatever. But again, it's not really written like that style or anything. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I'm going to throw that idea out the window because to me, the fact that it's taped in a plastic bag, correct, folded up tiny and hidden shows us that like this was meant to be kept a secret. Yeah. And if it was just a screenplay treatment that you want to be a secret, just don't print it out. You know, just be saved yeah. on your computer or something. But the fact that it was printed and folded and put in a plastic bag, I, that's why I'm like, it was, but then he didn't take it with him. Unless there, that was a backup copy and he took one mm, copy with that's him. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. If he knows, if the call is coming in saying it's go time, you're about to be initiated into whatever, and he's worked so hard on this speech, taking the time to hide it, to protect it, it seems like that you would, you would definitely grab that, especially since he came back into the house as if he'd forgotten something mm-hmm. and still didn't grab it. Also, but my question for the paranoid delusion thing, then what was the call? Was it just a misunderstanding? Like they just said, hey, you know, is the draft going to be ready at four? And he's like, that means that must mean the initiation is today. Maybe, maybe. Or I think that. Yeah, I think it could be a combination. What I'm leaning towards is a kind of a combination of two things, which I'll I'll go into more on the next episode. But I do think that. Yeah, it could have been something innocuous, like, because he was under a deadline. He was preparing. uh, He had even booked um, studio space for that weekend because he was under a a video deadline filming something for someone. So 
it may have been, hey, we need you down here right now to get this shot or to do something or whatever. And if he is suffering a psychotic break, I mean, you're looking into any, and he's, he's thought somebody walking onto the track at Allison's track practice was trying to get her. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the alarm gets tripped, which again, that could be something or the it could be, for the or it could be nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody trying to scare you, somebody because they want you dead is trying to break into your house and, and kill mm-hmm. you. I also read a theory where, because a lot of people on Reddit think he was suffering a psychotic break, that he did it himself. Oh. Like, did he set he, the alarm off himself? Yeah. Because she did say he, she came downstairs and he was already down yes, there. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was in the basement already. Hmm. So Interesting. If he, you know, if you're suffering a break like that, a mental break like that, you're it's kind of an out-of-body experience. You don't even really know what True. you're doing. You're... You're doing things and then justifying why they were done or trying to make these these connections fit and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll get into more of our theories and um, the, the logistics of how he got on the roof, how his body ended up in that conference room. The hole, the hole is a whole thing. It is the shape of it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And just the location of it and um proportion to the building and where he would have jumped or been pushed or been thrown from so lots more to come still let us know what you guys think as Mm -hmm. always hey we're doing something fun this weekend august you excited (laughs) yes i am (laughs) apparently august 15th at 6 p.m central our friends at soups cash are hosting a jackbox game night on their twitch stream and we are super pumped to be a part of it Soups Cash is a Twitch stream hosted by comedians and friends Tommy Brown, my husband, Jude mm-hmm. Sutton, designer of the Donnelly's and the Meat Warlocks t-shirt, and Tyler Simpson, a super funny comedian, one of our friends. It's hosted every Thursday and Sunday at 8.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, where they play a video game of their choice while chatting about whatever strikes their fancy. Their motto is casual gamers, professional level friends. It's basically a comedy podcast you can see that also involves video games. We'll be playing along with other friends and comedians in an effort to raise money for the Loveland Foundation, a foundation which helps provide therapy to black women and girls. For every new follower to the channel, Soups Cash will donate $1 up to $666. (laughs) (laughs) To watch us have a lot of fun and be part of a great cause, go to twitch.tv forward slash Soups Casual and hit that follow button. You can also find the link by visiting Sinisterhood.com. As someone who watched this stream last night, I laughed many times, and um, the game they were playing nearly gave me a panic attack. (laughs) What game was it? Fall Guys. Okay. It's this new game. It's very cute. It's all these, like, tiny little characters, like a jelly bean or a hot dog or just, like, little animals and stuff, and it's they're running all around, and you're a character, and the whole thing is you have to get to the finish line and not fall off all of this stuff it is panic inducing i was like i'm gonna have a fucking heart attack watching this but it's very fun and they're very funny so um yeah go to twitch.tv forward slash soups casual and follow them they would mean a lot to me and um just do yourself a favor what else are we all doing except watching shit happen why don't you want to laugh go laugh (laughs) what the fuck is wrong with you We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy? I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy and Wallace. Heather? I am on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Jennifer Rice. A. McCosh. Kat A. Cox. Lisa Hunt. Kate Holcomb. Margot Price. Jessica Somerville. Stephanie Sabrinskis. Jocelyn Smith. Shania Kasperbauer, Danae Littlefield, Lakin Henson, Amy Gravite, Heather Casper, Nikki Puckett, Saber Gilbert, Hannah Martin, Julissa Escobedo, Liz Dewberry, Courtney Lamb, Bree Knapp, Tess Staggs, Heidi Wolf, Cherry Sun, Emily P., and Emily Smith. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, especially during these trying times. We couldn't do it without you. We sincerely appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Sinister. <laughs>